Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Lats Factor Podcast. What is up, lacrosse fans? You are watching another episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we are going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about Rob Pinnell leaving the MLL to join the PLL, as it's being reported. We're going to talk about Michael Sowers and why I think he is the best player in the country, but he will still not win the Tawarton Award. And we'll talk about an, another Ask uh, Ted question, this time uh, pertaining to the crease and the new crease dive rules and all of that good stuff. Before I get into it, though, be sure, as always, to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and um, that's the best way that you can help promote our channel and help us grow. Or if you have uh, want to do a little bit more, you can go to laxfactor.com, watch all these videos there. If you're listening to this, you're only watching segment one right now if you're hearing me say these words. So the full podcast audio version is put up on laxfactor.com. You can listen to it in its entirety instead of listening to it or watching it via piecemeal on YouTube. So let's get into this. The news that Rob Pinnell is leaving the MLL to join the PLL next season. The first place I actually saw this was was uh, on a lacrosse bucket, my buddy Tanner over at lacrossebucket.com. And um, yeah, New York Lizards star attackman Rob Pennell will be leaving Major League Lacrosse and joining the Premier Lacrosse League, who just finished their inaugural season. Dave Franklin first reported the news on Twitter on Saturday night. That's all per Tanner over at uh, Lacrosse Bucket. So we... I've predicted this was going to happen. A lot of people have predicted this was going to happen. The, the, the day that Paul Rabel got into his head that he was sick of the MLL and they were going to start their own pro lacrosse league, that was the day that the MLL you know, started its nosedive into oblivion. Uh, I'm not saying I want to see that because the reality is that right now there is a boatload of places that, that lacrosse players after college can play pro lacrosse and continue their lacrosse careers, and it's all high quality. The MLL put out a very good product despite losing a ton of their star power. So I'm not saying I want to see the demise of the MLL, but the writing was on the wall when the PLL came out, and then the writing was on the wall the way the PLL performed. Ticket sales were not, I think, what they had hoped, but I believe that they overperformed in terms of the product that they put on TV and the the eyeballs that they gained uh, between TV and then social media mentions and all of that stuff. So I think the PLL is the future. Why wouldn't Rob Pinnell want to travel every weekend with all of his friends and his homeboys? The reality being right now he hops on a plane and a couple of people are maybe are flying to where he's going to to play the game that weekend with the PLL. He's hopping on a plane and almost guaranteed there's five to ten other players from all the other teams and all these guys are friendly all sitting on that plane trash talking together. It's uh, Someone else had asked, what about Lyle Thompson? I would presume that Lyle Thompson is next. 
Um, so I would, I would think that he's going, you know, as soon as his contract is up and he's able, he will too be joining, uh, the PLL. I feel like all of the big pimp daddy stars are eventually going to ditch the MLL for the PLL because, you know, you don't get over, uh, having to dress in a, a outside of a, a, a high school locker room because you can't even get into the locker room at the high school field. And you're dressing like this is club ball behind the stadium. You don't get over that when that's supposed to be pro lacrosse. So, the reality, it is just a matter of time before the MLL either gets bought out by the PLL or just straight up folds. You know, and, and I think that the NLL, the the, the National Lacrosse League, uh, they're you know announcing expansion and they've been doing great for years. Um, so it it's it's telling that the MLL was just poorly run, poorly managed. Um, I think that the big thing, and here's the big difference: you go to an NLL game and beers are flowing. It is an adult event, and adults with money go to the event. You go to the MLL games and not, not that I didn't drink beer, but, um, the marketing is different. Um, the NLL embraces all of the the good, the bad, and the ugly about the sport of lacrosse right down to the, the good, the bad, and the ugly about the fandom. Now let's not get into the issue that the Thompson's had, uh, more specifically, I think it was Lyle had last year in Philly. That was gross and disgusting and there's no place for it in the sport, but there is a place in the sport for fans you know, being dicks to opposing teams as they come in, just not being racist assholes. Um, so that's, I think, why the NLL has always done better. It uh, It's a fan-based sport, not a kid-based marketing effort. And I feel like the MLL was always a kid-based marketing. They Maybe that was just a matter of they couldn't get people to come to the games. So to get people in the seats, it ended up being, hey, we just got to get droves of kids to come in on buses. That could have been what, was, what it was all about. And that's actually one of my gripes with the PLL, is I think the PLL initially I felt that it was maybe going to make that same mistake in marketing to the kids, but the reality is with those broadcasts and the live streams and the cussing and the swearing, that was I, mean, I say it was awesome. Some purists thought it was terrible, but the reality is market the sport to adults, not to kids, because the adults have the tickets and the adults will eventually bring the kids. But anyway, I think that the PLL is the future. I think the MLL is sunk. I think that one by one by one over the next year or two, if the MLL can even make it another two years, I think the reality is that you're going to see more players ditching, more big names, more importantly than that, ditching. So Rob Pinnell reportedly leaving the MLL to join the PLL next season. He is just the first among many that are going to probably announce this over the course of the next year and two years. And that's going to, uh, to be the demise of the MLL again, not hoping for it. Uh, the MLL put a, puts a quality product in the field. It's just been a poorly run, poorly run league from the beginning. And I think the players will do a better job managing their own league with the leadership they've chosen. So that's my thought on that. If we get into the next topic, now this is one I've been excited about. This is one I've been wanting to talk about for a while, and I've, I've touched on this player a lot, Michael Sowers. He'll be a senior at Princeton this year, All-American attackman. In my opinion, the best player in college lacrosse right now, and I don't even think it's actually close. I think he is, just like I think last year Pat Spencer was hands down the best player in college lacrosse. Ben Reeves before him was the best player in college lacrosse. The Twarton is usually given to the best player in college lacrosse, and more often than not, that's how it works out. Now, I think the problem's going to be this year is that the best player in college lacrosse happens to play for Princeton, who is going to have a hard time even making their own conference tournament. So that's the problem, is that usually the best player is on a team that where he's able to at least make the NCAA tournament. 
and then make some noise and get get some eyeballs on him and and uh you know that's what's been happening at least the last handful of years now we have a kid who is leaps and bounds better than everybody else in the country i honestly in terms of you know ask you ask any college coach who the best attackman in the country is. I bet you seven out of 10 of them are telling you Mike Sowers. If not, nine out of 10 of them are going to tell you it's Mike Sowers. If not, every coach except for Tambroni might tell you that it's Michael Sowers. Um, so I just, I, I can't say enough about the kid. That he, can, he can do everything. And what he's done at Princeton is nothing short of amazing. He has the highest points per game average of any D1 lacrosse player over the last 38 years. That's the fifth best of all time. But over the last 38 years, no one has averaged more points per game than Michael Sowers. And he's playing at Princeton in the Ivy. It's not like he's playing chump lacrosse, putting these points up. He is Princeton's all-time leading scorer with a full year left to play. And people, Princeton is, some of you may not realize this, some of you younger fans may not realize that Princeton is a storied, storied program with ton bunch of national championships, a bunch of All-Americans, a bunch of Twarton candidates, um, All-Americans all galore. Uh, uh, Tierney, when he was at Princeton, they were a juggernaut in lacrosse and rivaled Syracuse and Hopkins and all these other big blue blood programs. Princeton was the shit. And now, not so much. Um, so for him to be Princeton's all-time leading scorer a full, with a full year left to play still, that's pretty ridiculous if you consider who's played there before him. Um, the fact that inside lacrosse had him as a second-team All-American last year was a fucking travesty, uh, and it causes me to question who they have voting. Uh, no world in which Chris Gray, a sophomore, deserved that nod over Sowers. No world. Chris Gray playing in a tough conference, but playing for Boston U in a conference not quite as tough as the Ivy and just he was he was that team's main and only option not that Boston you didn't have a nice team last year they did and they had some other guys on there but Chris Gray was the bulk of it the amount of touches Chris Gray got to get himself to that 100 plus point plateau or wherever he ended up last year it, it they're just not the same thing Chris Gray is not Michael Sowers and 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 the the USILA got it right. They had Sowers as a first-team All-American. It, it is a travesty that Inside Lacrosse didn't vote him. And I actually heard, I forget which podcast I was listening to. It was one of the Inside Lacrosse podcasts, and and that person had said, one of the hosts had said he had vo voted for uh, Sowers to be a first-teamer, but it, it was a travesty. Freshman year, he went full-blown 50-50, and I'm talking full-blown 50-50, 41 goals, 42, uh, 41 goals, 41 helpers, 82 points, and three game winners his freshman year. Shooting percentage was off the charts for a freshman attackman, 46% shooting percentage with a 76% on-cage percentage. That is just next-level crazy. Sophomore year, he draws a lot more eyeballs, 27 goals, 56 helpers, and 83 points. Shooting percentage suffered a bit, and you'll see that. We saw that with Pat Spencer. Uh, your shooting percentage after you have a breakout year goes down the following year simply because you get more attention. You get more lifts on your hands. You get, you get more double teams, and it's just harder to score goals, but it's easier to feed. 27 goals, 56 helpers his sophomore year. Uh, four man up goals that year, and you can see he got a little bit more aggressive in man up play as they were taking uh, the 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 uh, even situation looks away from him. And uh, another game winner that sophomore year, junior year, last season, 2019, Princeton they had a rough year. 37 goals, 53 helpers, 90 points with two game winners. Last season, Sowers adjusted to the attention a little bit better. He improved his shooting percentage slightly, and he had two game winners along with another man up goal. Uh, what makes Michael Sowers special? As a Dodger, he can beat you right, he can beat you left. 
He's most dangerous from X only because it's a little bit easier to feed from those areas on the field. But in the end, he is a straight up complete lacrosse player, as complete a lacrosse player as we have seen in NCAA lacrosse since Rob Pinnell in terms of his ability to score, his ability to feed, his ability to literally eat all of the attention and touches and run the offense. Nobody is better than Mike Sowers. And the, and the, the kicker is he's a known quantity. There is no secret in the lacrosse world that Michael Sowers, every time he steps on the field, he's the best player. This guy is drawing doubles, triples, teams. There's nothing you can do to stop him. It, the, the old cliche, you can only hope to contain him. It is It absolutely holds true with Sowers. If you need him to dodge from a wing, from up top, he'll do it. But there was, there's no one in the country that can mark Sowers. I mean, there is, you, you take all of the All-American defenders last year, you put them one-on-one with Mike Sowers, and he is going to murk them this, in, in a similar manner to how um, Pat Spencer murked uh, um, uh, Mellon for Syracuse last year in the playoffs. He is going to murk everybody one, in one-on-one situations. You have to double-team him. You have to account for him at all times. As a feeder... You know, his feeding, obviously feeding starts with dodging. So if you can't dodge, you can't feed unless you're a Grant Amat at Penn State, where in which point you could just stand there and feed because Mac O'Keefe is crazy off ball. So the only guy that could potentially be a better feeder than Michael Sowers, you could say, is Grant Amat. I would posit that's not true. I would posit that they are both right here in terms of feeding and everybody else is down here. But um, the only person you could say maybe better is Amat. But that's likely a product of circumstance. Sowers shreds defenses with his vision, and he doesn't have anywhere near the supporting cast that Amat has. Sowers hits a guy, hit, hit, and he hits guys all over the field. You know, so and Amat does too. But uh, specifically, what I like about Sowers is Sowers throws a really nice, similar to Ben Reeves, despite the fact Ben Reeves is much taller than Sowers, and Sowers is only I think five seven. Yeah, five nine. He's probably not five seven. Anyway, Sowers uh, he he throws that lob pass over the top. And, it, and it, he makes it look easy. It looks easy, but you don't see that a, a ton where a guy will just lob that pass repeatedly once or twice a game to an open guy, get it over top of the defense, and uh, he's excellent at that as well. He is a, a great team leader. As a team leader, no one's better. He's quiet, confident. No one will outwork him. That's the most important thing about a team leader, and that's why guys like Spencer and Reeves and Rambo, that's why they're so important on the field. It's not just what they can do in terms of putting up points. It's how they lead their teams and how they lead by example. No one will ever outwork Michael Sowers. As a team leader, he's every coach's favorite player and every player's favorite teammate. This is a fact. He He's probably the kind of guy you'd want to bring home to your, you'd want your daughter to bring home to you someday. I'm not going to say I want my daughter to bring home Michael Sowers. My daughter's only eight. But uh, he, he is definitely the uh, just all around, he's the, the kid you want in your classroom. He's the kid you want on your lacrosse field. He's the kid you want sitting on your couch at Thanksgiving as a possible in-law. I can't say enough things about his character and just how good of a person he is. Uh, my one knock, for some reason, and I can't get this out of my head, and I have never been able to get this out of my head since I started watching Workaholics, I immediately just see Michael Sowers and I think, Adam Devine from Workaholics. I don't know why. Uh, I think it might have been the haircut in one of his early editions or one of his old photos, but I do think that he looks a little bit like uh, Adam from Workaholics. And now that brings us kind of to the the whole point of this video is why Sowers won't win the Tuartan in 2020. I think that he should win the Tuartan in 2020, and I think that if the Tuartan got it right, no matter how Princeton finishes up this year, 
Um, you, I know that Michael Sowers is going to be, a, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to have 90-plus to 100-plus points on a team that probably is going to struggle. I say struggle. They're going to get a bunch of wins. They're just not going to be able to get enough wins in conference to make it to their conference tournament. And then at-large-wise, you're going to lose a couple of those conference games, and you're not going to get an at-large bid either. So I think that, that they're going to finish fourth or worst in the Ivy. That's kind of where people have them. And in this day and age, you need to make the tournament to you know get yourself into consideration for really winning the Twart. And he's going to be on the watch list. He'll probably, I mean, I think 100% he's going to be a finalist. I just don't think he's going to win it in the end because of the lack of the playoff appearance. Now, why I think he's better than everyone else's choice for player of the year, which I presume most are going to, to put Grant Amet in that spot, I when I pick it in the beginning of the year, uh, this upcoming year, when I pick who I think it's going to be, I'm going to pick Grant Amet because realistically, I think he's the one who's going to win it. But the reality is, and I think I even said earlier in the year that I picked Pat Spencer, even though I thought that he, you know, there were other players that may have been actually better players. He proved me wrong by the end of the year. Pat Spencer was the best player in in the country for sure. But um, I think Amen's going to win it just because I think Penn State is a better team. Uh, Penn State's going to make the tournament. Penn State probably should make the Final Four, if not the Finals. I think anything short of a Finals appearance for Penn State is going to be considered a failure by everyone within that that organization, for sure. So, you know, Sowers can equally murk everybody. Sowers is going to be... Sowers is far more dangerous than Ament, I think, overall. I think that Sowers is probably going to be the number one pick in you would think in both leagues the MLL and the PLL unless as Kark said uh, circumstance dictates that they might need an Amet like feeder but I'd argue that even if you needed a feeder on your offense that you'd probably pick Sowers if you were just trying to pick the best player overall that could could fit the need but uh, overall if I had to pick between Amet and Sowers and if this was your pick and you're building a team let's say you're playing pickup and you've got the number one draft pick, you're going to build your franchise around this guy, and the two guys you had to pick between were Amat and Sowers, 99 out of 100 coaches are going to pick Michael Sowers. I, I truly believe that. I'm not not trying to dump on Grant Amat in any way. Grant Amat, in my opinion, is the second best player in the country, and he is a filthy lacrosse player. He's going to have a great pro career. I'm just saying Mike Sowers is that good. He's that much better, in my opinion, than everybody else that they put on the field. In closing, Sowers, he can do it all, He's and he's done it all quietly. You don't see him throwing behind-the-back feeds, shooting behind the back. It was He's a coach's kid, so it's been ingrained into in his head from the beginning. Do it the right way. Very West Jenny for you upstate guys, a very West old-school West Jenny kind of way. You're just going to fall in line. You're not going to do anything stupid, and you're going to do everything the right way. That's Mike Sowers. Without flash, you know, and with his jeans wore high and tight, Tom Segura. Uh, kid can score. Kid can feed. Kid can lean a team lead a team. And in the end, you may even end up being glad to have him as a son-in-law someday. So Michael Sowers, I hope that the lacrosse world gets it right. You should be a first team All-American across the board. You should be probably the winner of the Twarton, assuming you stay healthy and you put up a bunch of points. And uh, even if other people don't acknowledge it out loud, this guy will. Michael Sowers is the best player in college lacrosse uh, for 2020. And if you don't believe me, just watch him. So that is that is that segment. Now we get on to the last one. Ask Ted, and this is going to be a quick one, uh, partly because I'm sick and I'm trying not to sniff in your ear. So I was going to do more uh, questions and answer more questions, but at least for this edition, I'm not because I don't want to sniff in your ear. So this week's Ask Ted, what do I think about the new crease dive rules? And I think they blew it again. I think that 
they they got they picked my number two choice. I had I had two solutions. Number one solution, just unlock it. No more diving towards the mouth. Just unlock it. Players can dive into the crease and score goals. And if you feel that the player egregiously bashes into a goaltender, throw a flag anyway. Maybe like the NFL or like in, in the NBA or college basketball, maybe the goal could still count, but you still get a penalty for making contact with the goalie. I mean, I'm not sure how that should work. There's got to be something to a degree to protect the goalies, but I don't think you need all these extra lines in the crease and all these rules about trajectory. I think it's just a matter of, you know, how bad was the goalie impact? Make that the judgment call because they can judge that quickly and and decide they can get together and decide. But by adding this new rule, now it didn't make it any better. They already had to kind of figure out what the player's move momentum was in his trajectory and where he was going. They just didn't have this extra little crease around around the middle of it. So I feel like they've they've got it. They made it better. I think you do at least remove one of the problems, and that's where in this crease, you know, and, and where's the fine line between encroaching on the goalie's space and not. So I think in terms of trying to fix it that way, I think they did an okay job. I think where they got it wrong is it's just not that much simpler. We still have a really rough judgment call that these guys have to make. We still have weird rules. Now we have two creases. You know, it's just a weird thing. I would have liked to just seen them just get rid of all of that. Just let the players dive and then decide after the fact, hey, that one was a little bit too aggressive to the goalie, a little bit too much contact with the goalie, and make that the judgment call. Like, you're making them make a judgment call now. Why not make them just make one judgment call? It's not, it isn't a judgment call trying to decide, did they touch the crease? Did they land in the crease before they scored? None of that's a judgment call. That's objective. You can, you either saw it or you didn't, and they can call it accordingly. Um, now they have, you know, they have all these weird judgment calls though with trajectory and with, uh, the second line and where they pushed and blah, 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 just do away with all of that and make the only judgment call. Was there too much contact with the goalie? Do you know, like kind of like in the NFL where you have, uh, uh, hits that are a little bit too rough. If you're hearing noises out here, I have, we got some cats and they're probably jacking with the door. So moral of the story, I think they, it's better a little bit because they did take one of those judgments away from the officials, but there's still too many moving pieces in it. I think it would have still been better to remove all hindrances and simply make it, you can dive, you can land in the crease, you can even make contact with the goalie to a degree. If that content contact is too egregious, that's where the judgment call comes into play. I think that's the best way to do it. With the, we, the reality is these officials aren't snowflakes and sports are, are, you know, lacrosse world is with this rule specifically has tried to te- treat them like snowflakes. And maybe it's the officials want things to be clear, but I, I, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find an official that says, yeah, I like this. So maybe that's a video I'll do. I know a bunch of officials, so maybe I can start pinging uh, a bunch of the college officials that I do know um, that all do D1, and I can ask them what they think about it, and I'll report that back to you. But my opinion, it's better a little bit, but I think that it would have been even better if they just removed all other rules, just let them dive. The only rule is ball has to cross the plane before you touch, and if they decide that the contact with the goalie is egregious and could have been avoided, that's where they could issue a penalty. But uh, you know, no one's listening to me, uh, even though they – they picked one of my two solutions and I, I, they didn't hear me talk about it. It's just common sense, I think. So that's where I'm at with that. So as always, thank you for listening. Uh, again, uh, the best way that you can help us out, like that video, smash that like button. Um, that seems to help us a great deal. Um, share the video on social media with all your homies. That's the best way you can help us. But if you uh, have a little bit more in you, you can go to laxfactor.com, get yourself t-shirt, hats, 
coffee mugs, all sorts of other swag. You can watch all these videos here, listen to the audio version and all of that good stuff. And as always, thank you very much for watching and Hoost is out. <laughs> <laughs>